Hello, and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Cooper Fouts, the recruiting coordinator and catching and pitching coordinator at La Tech University. To support the podcast, all follows, ratings, and reviews are appreciated. And now I present to you, Cooper Fouts. How was the fall? It was a great fall. Had a good fall with our guys. Um, I think one of the biggest things we walked out of the fall was how competitive our guys were. Uh, I think the goal mm. of any um, recruiting coordinator or assistant coach is you're, is you're trying to build the roster. Uh, you're always trying to create a competitive roster and, and put your guys in a position where they have to earn their jobs. Um, mm. And with our fall in the quarter system, we, we start school a little later. We start school after Labor Day about the 10th. Um, yeah, of September, and we get right into it. And so we're just a couple weeks of individuals, and we get right into inter squads. So I mean, our inter squads start mm-hmm. the last weekend of September, and we roll all the way through. Basically, uh, this year we ended on October 30th against uh, Louisa Monroe in a, in a scrimmage, and mm-hmm. so it was all it was all competitive in that scrimmage. And so um, our fall was good, um, came out pretty healthy, which is always a positive, guys. Um, earned some roles. Some guys got pushed um, to get better, but this team specifically, Jack, in 17 years, I've never been around a group of guys that we did have, we brought 21 new guys in. So there's a lot of new, um, but still a lot of old and still a lot of maturity. And so you're always trying to balance how they're going to, how they're going to come together as a team and how they're going to like each Mm -hmm. other. This is the closest team I've ever been a part of in, in, in 17 years as a coach. And Wow. They uh, they genuinely really, really like each other. Um, I think they have a lot of good relationships. They work their, their tail off. I mean, our guys are here all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they understand what makes us different. And so I think this is a really fun, enjoyable group to be around. Mm. Um, but it was a good fall. We had a good fall. We had a good, uh, a good day against Auburn. Um, and our guys played well there. And then we finished the fall, like I said, against Louisa Monroe on the 30th. And, and finished there good as well and came out really pretty injury free, which is a huge part. Yeah. Um, and like That's I big. said, guys earned some roles and, and guys were pushed to get better. So we had a good fall. You mentioned 21 new guys. I was unaware yeah. of this, but yeah. I would imagine in terms of this fall, you had to incorporate a lot more team building uh, kind of exercises. Do you guys implement that into your, you know, your coaching strategies in the mm-hmm. fall? Yeah, I, I, you know, Coach Burroughs does such a great job building culture. You know, he's been here. This is his seventh year. Uh, we have a very, very low rate of, of guys leaving the program. So we don't have an enormous amount of guys getting in the portal and leaving. Um, so I think the culture is pretty strong. Uh, I think one of the greatest things he does with our guys is, is he involves them quickly with each other. They're not separated. Um, we don't do a ton of small group stuff. Um, they're together a lot more than maybe other schools are. And so I don't know if we did any, any real major specific team building things. Uh, I know some programs do. I think ours was more just the day-to-day. Uh, we meet every day as a group. Um, whether you have an early group or a late group, we're always meeting in the classroom. And so mm. guys are always hearing the same consistent message. Um, but Coach Burroughs, just, there's one true leader of this program, and, and he does a great job. And, and the way he communicates our guys and sets the tone, um, I think it's a pretty clear path for our guys to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the second group I would give tremendous credit for is our older guys. And, and certainly yeah. we have some guys that have been here, you know, five, six years because of the COVID hangover and some stuff. And, mm-hmm. and you're certainly appreciative of those guys. Um, but they've welcomed those guys with open arms and, um, they've done a great job leading those guys and, and, and setting an example, but I think also welcoming them and, and making them feel like they're welcome. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, that's, that's a little different for maybe it's a junior college guy or a high school guy or a transfer guy 
of trying to come in and, and uh, not know what to expect. And, and those guys make them feel welcome pretty quick. And, and I think, the, like I said, the culture here is really strong and Coach Burrow's done a great job of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of building the team chemistry, do you find yeah. that is mostly built on the competitive side of the fall as opposed to the development side, the individual development side of the fall? I think, yeah, I, I do think there's there's part of that. But I think the biggest part of building team chemistry is making sure you get the right guy on the recruiting side. I, I think mm. our biggest question mark we always have, and, I, and and certainly talent is the initial part of the process. Does that guy have a chance to help you uh, from a talent aspect in the field succeed? But mm-hmm. the biggest question we ask, and we're very honest about it, very transparent about it, and um, is he a fit? And I know people talk about that, but um, – yeah. I think we put a little more emphasis on that. Does he fit our culture and our program? Um, we try to, you know, get as many red flags out of the way as we can or, or ask those mm. questions that might be a little uncomfortable in that recruiting process. But finding the right guys that fit your program. And, and we've got multiple SEC transfers that are that are here right now from multiple schools, and, and they fit in perfect. We haven't had a single issue because those mm. guys are who we are and we are who they are, and we're such a good fit. And so – yeah, you know, with coach with Coach Burrow's relationships in this part of the country, with Coach Gaspar's relationships being in this part of the country, him being in Alabama for so long, mm. um, I think you get a pretty good feel pretty quick of who you, you can trust. And and when you get calls from certain guys, and they say, "Hey, he's your type of guy," or "He's going to be a great figure program," mm-hmm. I think that pulls a lot of weight with us. Um, and then certainly going through the recruiting process, that is such a a big part of our team building process is making sure we initially get the right guy in the program. Um, yeah. and, and, and you're pretty honest about it, that you might have a talented guy, but knowing that he might not fit your program, I, you know, coach Burroughs is very honest about it. We're going to go for the guy that fits our program every time. Um, mm-hmm. and so as you get those guys in the, in the team setting and on the field in the classroom, I think those guys begin to mesh a lot quicker because they all have like, you know, like-minded goals and personalities and, and the same traits. Yeah. Um, not all, but most, um, and so I, I feel like that is part of the competitive nature that we can create because those guys are inherently competitive. They mm. expect to compete. They don't expect to be given something. They don't expect to just walk in and have the job handed to them because they were ranked this or they're from, you know, whatever school they were at. Um, yeah. I think those guys are desiring to compete and, and are desiring to prove that they have a chance to be successful and help us win. Um, so I think that all stems back to our recruiting process and how we try to go through that and, and mm. try to be pretty um, I, I, genuine in our process, but but slow. Maybe we're going to be a little slower than others and just make sure mm. we make those right decisions because when you get them here, it's too late. You're, you, <laughs> you've already they're already here. You can't change them. Then uh, yeah. I think it's hard to change guys. And and I think when when coaches say they can, I think it's it's a little bit of a stretch. Not that guys can't change and improve, certainly, but yeah, I think guys. Uh, generally speaking are who they are and, and they have those mannerisms and, and uh, those personality traits that we look for. Um, I, I just feel like we can put those guys in our program or bring those guys in our program by, by just doing a better job in our recruiting process, which we strive to do. Mm-hmm. You mentioned culture. That's a very yeah. big buzzword in baseball. Can you elaborate <laughs> yes. on like your guys culture? And it sounds like yeah. competitiveness is like a huge yeah. pillar of that. Can you yeah. talk a little bit more about it? Yeah, you know what, and, and I'll give you an example. So, and this is the mm-hmm. same example that if 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 you were in Belso sitting in our office and, and on a visit, and Coach Bros is here, and he certainly explains it far better than I do. But in 2019, we had a tornado come through, um, ruin the stadium, you know, and so they were homeless for two years, and so um, you know the rest of 19 they're homeless now 20, 
that entire fall, um, they're practicing at Ruston High School 10 minutes away, and, and they're doing that stuff. And then obviously they're playing the road games for the first four weeks of COVID. Mm-hmm. But you fast forward to the to the uh, the fall of 20 and even into the spring of 21, they're practicing at Ruston High School again. So there's times where we're hitting BP at between two and four and then have to leave the field because Ruston High School is getting ready to come practice and then have to come back in squad at nine at night. Um, and during that whole period of time, Jack, not one person left. Not one person left the team. Hmm. And in that 21 season, you come in, you, you, you open a new stadium, you host your conference tournament, you host your regional. But what people don't know is that year we had seven total All-Americans on that team. You had, mm-hmm. you had four, four All-Americans. You had three academic All-Americans. And any of those guys could have gone anywhere in the country and been successful, and none of them left. Um, and, and I think that's the greatest definition of our culture. It's our players. Our players are our culture. I think so often um, the buzzwords come out and, and, and people give you all those things, but our players are different. Um, mm-hmm. One, they, they genuinely love Louisiana Tech. Now, you know, there's issues at times and we're not all perfect, but they genuinely love Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. They're, they're treated really, really fairly. They're treated like men. Um, mm. You know, this is a, this is a, a player-driven program. Coach Burroughs talks about it all the time. It's a player-driven program. We put a lot of stock in what our guys say. Um, certainly, they have to earn that trust, but we have so many guys that have earned that trust in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we're going to put, you know, uh, certain buzzwords on our, on our culture, I guess you'd say it's, it's blue-collar. Um, we are blue collar, mm. you know, and, and, and certainly we go to a lot of places, um, set, certainly when we go to the SEC games where, you know, that team might be more talented, but, but our guys could care less. They don't care who's on their side of that diamond. They don't care what the front of their jersey says. They, mm. they know how talented they are, and they expect to win every time they step in the field. Um, and I think with that expectation of winning, they know how hard it is to win. So they work in a different fashion. I think they, they work mm. with a little bit different uh, focus, um, not all the time. But I, I think it, it comes to show out how successful our guys have been. And I think the other part of that is, is they understand how important winning is. I think so often we get caught in, in the individual awards and what goes on. And, and those things are great, but mm-hmm. um, everybody wants to be part of a winner. If they don't, I think they're lying to you. Um, it's a lot more fun to win than to lose, as we all know. We've all been through some tough seasons where it's not real fun. Uh, and I think that's where the program's at, at the moment. I think our culture is about toughness for sure. I think it's very blue collar, uh, mm. but I also think it has a heavy responsibility on understanding how hard it is to win and, and, and understanding what those steps are that are necessary to put a winning program in the field. And, and certainly, again, that all starts with Coach Burroughs and certainly Coach Gaspard um, and what they do. But um, I truly, truly believe our players are what make this place different, what make this place special. Our players are, are great people. They're great players, but first and foremost, they're great people that we love to be around every day. Hmm. It's almost like an underdog mentality. That's like the, the, uh, the kind of sense of that I'm there. getting it. Oh, yeah. there's, there's, there's a chip on the shoulder. It's talked about quite often. There's a chip in the shoulder. And yeah. um, I think that's all kind of how, you know, we are, we were uh, as players, all three of us, you know, coach Burroughs and coach Gaspar myself. And, hmm. um, but also how we coach with that. I think there's some, some tenacity to that. And I think certainly again, mm-hmm. it, it all comes down from, from coach Burroughs, but Without a doubt, there's there's a chip on the shoulder. There's the mindset of, of of trying to prove people wrong. But I also think it's not just proving people wrong. It's also proving people within the program their right for taking the chance on them and loving mm. them the way we do. And I think that's a stronger, you know, the feeling of being wanted and being loved and being valued is a stronger, strong, strong, far stronger feeling than than those other things that are produced. And I think again, that's where um, our program really succeeds. Mm-hmm. Do you guys? 
make a point of emphasis on this or do you dedicate uh kind of time like just to the mental side of the game or is that just implemented in like the day-to-day like kind yeah. of inner workings of the team mm-hmm. so on the pitching side we do we, we have mental meetings we'll do okay. some stuff that we do on a weekly basis mm-hmm. um and and different parts of the year we'll do it more often than than not uh just based on what our schedule's like um but we do put an emphasis on the mental side um and, mm-hmm. and the ability to control the controllables and and I think on the pitching side, I would say we put more of the emphasis on the ownership of what you can control. Mm-hmm. And and we talk about competitive maturity, Jack, it's something we talk about all the time. And I think it's, it can be viewed a lot of different ways, but I, in, in our definition, you know, competitive maturity is, is understanding what allows you to be successful and mm-hmm. looking to not just own that, but dominate that and be solely focused on what allows you to be successful and eliminating the rest of it. Cause we can't control the rest of it. Um, and I think when our guys do that, um, you kind of flush with this, the other stuff that, that could, could kind of get you a little bit sideways and, mm-hmm. and uh, understand what you as an individual do that allows you to be successful. And that's truly the goal, Jack, is for our guys to be their own best coach. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not going to complicate this in here at La Tech. We're not going to go out and act like we're reinventing the wheel. But I think where we're really strong at is we, we make a real emphasis to, to be great at the things we control and the things that we feel will happen in the game. And, and to mm. back to your original question, certainly that mental aspect and, and on the pitching side specifically, we talk about that a ton. We talk about that a lot, certainly in the beginning of the week. And we go back to that a lot after bullpens or after a competitive outing, whether it's a pitcher, catcher, hitter, or, or an inner squad, mm-hmm. uh, we'll go back and revisit that stuff a lot, especially where um, guys you know, would, would have a moment where they thrive and they make great pitches. And, and what does that feel like? And what do we do there? And certainly when, when we have those uh, instances where, where we don't maybe uh, attack or we don't um, have the same execution that we would desire and, and what was mm-hmm. going on during those instances and, and try to be really honest with our evaluation and, uh, yeah. and, and try to really, really be solution oriented, Jack. We don't, I think the problem is the problem. We want to acknowledge it and we want to throw it away because I want to be really focused on the mm-hmm. solution that allows us to improve our problem and not put ourselves in a position where we're only focused on the problem and we're beating ourselves up. I mean, it, this game's hard. We don't want to do that. We want to focus yeah, yeah. on as much of the positive as we possibly can. So I think that goes into the mental training more than anything. It's just our daily routine and how we observe failure and how we deal with failure and, and how we take that failure and, and again, acknowledge it, but kick it out. And now we're going to be solution-oriented as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. What about the catchers? I want to ask about that because you work with the catchers too, yeah, right? I do. Well, I, I think a lot of people look at that and they say, well, how do you do both? Well, what's great is every bullpen, I, hey, I was a catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've said this my entire career coaching catchers is there's no better preparation for the game than the bullpen. I can't make the ball do what those pitchers do. I can't, I can't do those things. Neither can a machine. Um, and so that relationship I, I think is even better. It's worked out better than I thought it would when we originally took this job and, and mm-hmm. that was presented. Um, and so that's been awesome. That, that communication and, and really making those guys understand what those pitchers want and how we can work in the bullpen and how we can create that relationship with the bullpen has been awesome. The other piece of the puzzle is I'm not just solely focused on the pitcher. I think a lot of times I, like I said, I was a catcher my whole career. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few times in my career would a pitching coach say something to me. He was only focused on the pitcher. So mm-hmm. being able to have some folks on both sides and, and holding both sides accountable in that intense practice setting has been awesome. Um, I think the weakness of it is, is, is trying to find time to, get a little bit more individual side with the catchers and, and maybe it's not mm. as a group individual work, but maybe it's the one guy or the two guys. And, and so uh, very honestly, I think that's the, the time crunch that you try to find. Um, 
we've got a great grad student that, that caught and he's been awesome for us. And, and so mm -hmm. that's been a huge help this year, but in all honesty, I've loved it. Um, I think, I think our guys have done a great job with it and we've got an older catching core. We've got uh, a young man who's caught for us for three years is back again. That's a, that's a rock star and mm -hmm. some other guys have been in the program. So, um, but I truly believe the, the ability to hold those guys accountable in that best practice, which is the bullpen has been awesome to, to see both sides all the time. Mm -hmm. What about that pitcher catcher relationship? Are you actively working on that during competition Constantly. as well? Because mm -hmm. at least just from my experience, yeah, it was kind of, you know, it was very uh, free open dialogue type of thing. Like it wasn't sure. super structured, um, mm -hmm. at least in, in, in my time in college. So I'm, I'm curious if you guys uh, work on that very yeah. like, specifically. We every, every bullpen, because there's a lot of bullpens mm -hmm. where I won't say anything and, and make those guys communicate and make those guys mm -hmm. really function through that competitive setting. And, and what it forces you to do is at some point, somebody's going to get pissed and somebody's going to say <laughs> something and they're going to, you know, hold the other side accountable, which is beautiful because I think, again, there's too often we, we run away from that conflict where that's conflict's going to happen in the field. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather have that conflict happen in the bullpen and get all that out of the way in the bullpen setting or in a pitcher catcher hitter setting, but where it doesn't cost, that's a free mistake. It literally costs us nothing. So mm -hmm. um, that dialogue is, is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I don't require those guys to sit next to each other, you know, in the dugout and that stuff. It happens, but it, I don't require that. I think everybody has their own kind of routine and I want those pitchers to have their own routine, but certainly in that bullpen setting we desire. And I, I think requires a strong word, but we certainly promote that our catchers communicate um, both good and bad to our pitchers, but also that our mm -hmm. pitchers communicate, Hey, where we want, where we want them to set up or how we want that target to be, or what do we want this to look like? Cause everybody's different. And certainly as, as guys start to feel comfortable and, and build trust on both sides, because that is a two-way street for sure. Mm -hmm. I feel like when things do get sped up out in the game, we're not, we're not having to tell that catcher, Hey, you got to go take a timeout. You got to go tell them. It's like, they're already communicating yeah, in their yeah. body language or certain things you're saying. Um, yeah. And, and again, that comes from being on both sides of the coin from my side uh, as a playing experience, being a catcher that, um, Hey, my problem is I probably talk too much, Jack. I, I probably was, <laughs> was too vocal. So, um, I, I think, uh, demanding those guys or, or desiring those guys for sure to, to communicate and have ownership in that bullpen of how the pitcher performs is, is, um, is something we strive for. Mm -hmm. What about when players are struggling? Like you mentioned, like, you know, a guy struggling yeah. catcher has to come out. I want to talk about just like a player is struggling, you know, for, mm -hmm. for a while you can tell, maybe it's a freshman, you know, he's struggling. Yeah, You're like, sure. all right, so you yeah, know, he's gonna he's gonna done you know everywhere but on the field. So how do we deal with that? Yeah. Uh, so I I've, I'll tell you honestly, as a young coach, I was I was I was under the mindset that that I was gonna make those things public because I wanted everybody to see that I was working, which was the worst mistake ever. I mean, God, I, my fault as a young coach, Jack. The list is I don't think we have enough time on this podcast, but um, <laughs> a little bit older, a little bit more sure. I hope um, you know we're really gonna try to isolate those conversations in in a one on one session as much as we can try to break down those walls of defense and, and feel like they're not being attacked. Certainly. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when it's done in front of a peer group, they feel embarrassed. So when they're embarrassed, they're not hearing anything you say. They're just worried about how everybody else views that and their embarrassment. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do, we're going to do a really good job of bringing those guys in and having individual conversations. Um, the one thing that we have to do, I think Jack, in, in order to be successful at this level, any level is, is they have to trust you. They have mm -hmm. to trust you. It's, this is no longer, Hey, I'm coach and you have to listen. And there's too much information. There's too much information. There's too many options. Um, if your ultimate desire is to get the best out of that young man and 
provide him with the best opportunity to be his own best coach, you have to have open communication all the time. I mean, you know, I, I mm -hmm. ask our players to call me, to call me Coop. Like I don't coach Fouts is like, mm, no, let's, let's move that off. So <laughs> I, I just don't, I just don't believe it needs to be in a, in a fashion to where there's a, a dominant voice in the conversation. I believe they have to have ownership in that conversation as well, mm -hmm. because the more feeling of ownership they have, well, one, they, they have to think about it. So they have to be invested in it, which we're asking our guys to be invested. So I think if we can put them more of, on the investment side before we get to our action plan, I think that helps a whole lot in them buying into what we're going to do going forward. Mm -hmm. um, I think the second part of that is, is constantly evaluating everything you do. I, I think there's certainly in our program and the pitching side, we have some non-negotiables, but it, our non-negotiables are more on the way we do things with the intent and the process and the structure. But mm -hmm. um, everybody has their own flow. Everybody has their own routine within those non, those non-negotiables. Um, so we want those guys to feel like they have the power because it's their career. I can't throw the ball for them. I can't make them do anything. I mean, I mm -hmm. think that thought of, I can make them do something is, is crazy. I can't. Um, and so I want them to feel like they have ownership. I want them to feel like they have open communication. And then once we get to that point, then you have to hold them accountable. I think we have mm -hmm. to hold those guys accountable to what they said they wanted and how they're going to do it because it was their idea. And they're, they're in on the, the, the floor of that process and building that program. Um, but it's always done internally. It's always done in, in, in a, in, I'd say closed door setting, but a, a more personal setting where we can break down those barriers to where it's not embarrassment. It's, it's a true mm -hmm. factual conversation. Um, and we're going to have adult conversations. There's there, we're not going to lie to them. Um, but it's going to be done in a way that we feel like we can really bring the best out of those guys. And again, make them feel like they're safe and make them feel like they're valued in our program. Um, mm -hmm. And I think as we go through that, uh, you know, again, the accountability at the end is, I think, is the true, um, the true part of that program because it's not going to be easy. They're not going to like mm -hmm. everything they're doing because they're still an experienced failure. And so holding them accountable through that failure to, to have that grit and that perseverance to get to their end goal, which it might be tough and it might take a long time. Um, I, I feel like that's the way that we're going to continue to build our guys up and, hmm. and continue to progress our guys. And, and Jack, you, you know, you gave the examples of freshmen. I mean, heck, we've got older guys that have had success that, that, that maybe had more success than they thought they were going to. And now they're dealing with the pressure of trying to repeat what they did before. Yeah. Um, and I think that maybe is even more of a challenge than a young guy because uh, that guy's experienced success. Now he feels like he has to repeat that, or he has to do even more to, to continue to, to be seen the way he's seen, which I think that's part of the communication as well. We have one young man in our program now that I feel is going through that. And, and he's mm -hmm. awesome. He's a daggum rock star, but he has to understand what allowed him to be successful before is because he was himself and he had utter hundred percent confidence in what he was doing. And he wasn't scared. He wasn't worried about the result. He was just worried about doing his job to the best of his ability can to help us win. And that was it. It was so simple mm. and reminding him of, well, that's what allowed you to be successful before. You don't need more. Um, he's, he's going to get better because he works his tail off and he's going to continue to progress because his maturity and his work ethic and, and, and how he goes about his business. Um, he just has to remember what allows him to truly be successful in those moments. So mm. have you found that players are a little bit more visual learners these days? especially on like the technology uh, no side of things. Do you, yep. do you guys like implement technology in, in this communication so process we as do, well? Technology never stops in our program. Now we're not overloaded by it because we don't want to ever, we don't want that to ever take away from competition. I don't want ever, mm -hmm. I don't want to ever give guys an excuse for not being competitive 
because they're worried about the things they can't control. Uh, but yeah. yeah, the technology is huge. You know, now I don't know this. I've, I've tried to look this up, Jack. So if I'm wrong, I'm, I apologize. You can edit this out. But I was told there's 11 million sensory nerves in our body and 10 million were dedicated to eyesight. I don't know if that's true, but hmm. I've, I've, I've researched up on some, some nervous substance. And I know at least 50% is, is dedicated to our eyesight. Yeah. And, and so we are extremely, extremely visual, whether that's, you know, filming guys. I mean, we film our guys with our phones all the time. I mean, and it, it's kind of odd because I'm sitting there with my phone looking at people like, what is on the phone? I'm not, I'm, I'm filming a guy. So we're always filming the guys and showing a guy. Very rarely will we say something like, hey, this is what you're doing. We'd much rather film it and show them and say, mm -hmm. hey, what do you see? Going back to that ownership of making adjustments and seeing it. And to your point, the visual side. So we do technology all the time. We're actually crazy. You say that we're in the middle. We're, we just finished our second day in our pitching lab. We've got a $1.5 million pitching lab. Mm. Um, one of five schools in the country that has Kinetrax in there, which is a game changer. So if anybody yeah. can get Kinetrax, I'd highly recommend it. It's unbelievable. But they're in there right now. Um, and that's been awesome. So whether it's Kinetrax or Soto or pitch AI or armcare.com for, for our stuff that we do in our arm testing on a daily basis. Um, whether it's even our rap sort of stuff in our bullpen and having, you know, something as simple as having a, a bigger TV screen in the, in the, uh, in the bullpen. So they can see it rather than looking at an iPad. Mm. We are absolute proponent proponents of that. Um, any information we have, and that goes even into our, our field cameras, you know, it's, it's um, there's eight cameras on the field. They have access to anything we film at any time. They have an account for that. So, they have mm. access to all that stuff. They have a Kinetrax dugout account where they can get in and look at their profile and see that stuff. So we are 100% um, desiring for our guys to investigate on their own, on the visual side, and to see it and to watch it. Um, the other thing mm. I do, and, and I'll tell you this real simple, I don't think I'm that daggum smart, so I'm the biggest thief there is. I constantly <laughs> am, am searching for guys where they're slow motion, the grips, or they're slow motion, what's happening with guys' mechanics, and mm. send them to guys in our group chat, or send them to guys where – you know, their day was DeGrom slider. Um, mm -hmm. And we've got guys that, you know, that we have a lot of guys that throw a slider like most programs. And and whether it's, you know, it's getting around the ball or getting beside the ball or being underneath the ball or supinating, whatever it is, and showing them guys like just a slow motion grip of what DeGrom does at release and what do his fingers look like on the ball? What does his grip look like? Because I don't think you can ever tell, you know, 18 pitchers to throw the same pitch. It's not going to happen that way. The, yeah. the way they feel, the way they feel spinning, the way they feel adjustments are all different. So, giving them the tools to hopefully make their own best decision is the key. And if we're struggling, then mm -hmm. we're certainly going to interject and we're going to look, but that's, you know, our, our best tool is our inside camera and our bullpens and our rap soda. So there's very few bullpens we throw. Um, let's say we throw, you know, eight bullpens in a, in a period of time, at least six are on the inside camera, because mm -hmm. for me personally, our ability to see the numbers on rap soda are great, but everybody goes, well, I don't know what that means. Why is that happening? Well, if we can show the insight camera and show how the ball is releasing from hand and what, what the fingers are doing to mm -hmm. manipulate the baseball, or what are causing good or bad spin or whatever it is, goes back to your first point of the visual cues of that stuff. And again, I don't, we try to stay away from, well, this is what I think you're doing more. So I'm like, Hey, I want to show you this. I want you to tell me what you think. And let's have a communication about what do we both see and hmm. find a medium and a happy ground. So, um, and as you find that, then certainly you have cues that become more verbal because you've seen the video and you remind them. So there's certainly some verbal cues that come into play, but I think true adjustments have to be seen and understood by the individuals making the adjustments. It doesn't matter what I know. It, it's, I'm irrelevant in the situation. It matters what they know. 
and how they communicate that and how they understand it and how can we be on the same page so they can mm. go on to make the adjustments and have those feelings. Um, again, ultimately leading them to hopefully be their own best coach. Yes, absolutely. How does that impact um, how how you play your players or how you use your players? Does it impact how you use your players? I think we're different there. I, I think, you know, very honestly, and, and I would just speak off last year's only, um, mm -hmm. we're going to put our best guy out there. Whatever we feel like our best guy is, you know, I, very rarely did we play the matchups last year. Um, mm. Now we had some really good guys in the back end. We had some really good guys that were starting games. So we had the dominant pieces at the end. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, the numbers certainly count. I give you an example of the numbers where we did play the numbers. We're playing that we're playing at LSU and, and we've mm. already beat them here once and we're playing there. And, and it's, boy, it's pretty scary. You got Jacob Berry up the bases loaded with nobody out. You're thinking, Oh my gosh, here we go. <laughs> and so we bring in a freshman lefty from Baton Rouge walk on who ended up being a freshman all American for us. Um, Hmm. that uh, Barry's numbers against righties were really poor. It was, it was just one of those things you couldn't even – I mean, he's got like eight home runs left-handed. He's hitting like 430, and he's got no home runs hitting like 120 right-handed. Go, we got to change him over. So we're bringing this freshman lefty, and it's a uh, fastball for a strike. It's a, it's a curveball, 6-4-3, so you give up one run, and then he strikes out Kate Doty in the backside. And, and, hmm. But we let him run against Doty too, right, because we feel like he was our best guy. And then he went out through another inning, and he was successful. And so um, I think we, we – probably air more on a lot more maybe what the hitters telling us in the game i think i think mm -hmm. that's a pretty yeah. true consistent we say that all the time whether it's recruiting whether it's our own guys or certainly in the game like the hitter tells you a lot about what you need to know man i think the numbers are, are good but the hitter will tell you a lot on the pitching side so mm -hmm. um very not very rarely but more often than not we're going to go with the guy we feel is our best guy um that gives us the best chance to be successful um and, and okay. to that point um, and, and whether this is a bragging point or not, I mean, from my knowledge, we were the only team in the country that didn't have an intentional walk last year. We didn't walk an intentional, we didn't have an intentional walk all year and, and oh. had one pitch out all year long. Um, I just always want our guys and that could change, but I always want our guys to feel like they are better than the hitter. I, I, I hate to take that pride or, or that, that, that thought process away from them. So mm -hmm. certainly there's times where we have to pitch around guys, but um, we're still going to be competitive. We're still going to try to get them to swing the bat and get themselves out. But mm -hmm. um, to your original question, we, we, I think the situation could dictate at times, but generally speaking, we're going to attack with the guy we feel is our best guy um, that gives us the best chance to be successful in that, in that setting. Okay. Okay. Um, do you guys, or, or do you talk to your uh, pitchers about reading hitters? Cause you mentioned that you mentioned how the hitters can kind of tell a story, you know, in the at bat, do you, do you talk to them all the about time? That? Okay. All the time. And, and, and yeah. so we, we talk about three pitch sequences a lot and, and our bullpens, a lot of times are, are set up three pitch sequences. Okay. If you throw this to this hitter, what's next pitch going to be? And what are you leading to the third pitch? How are you going to set this mm. hitter up through three pitches? And so a lot of times we'll give those guys some, some understanding of what that guy does. You know, mm -hmm. he's a stride to close guy, or he's a stride open guy, or he wants to get extended or he, you know, this, that, you know, whatever, we'll give them a lot of the variables of the hitter and, and they'll make their own decisions based off of, the information they're given in that bullpen setting. Mm -hmm. um, and so they have a lot of freedom to work in that. And certainly there's, there's communication of going, Hey, okay. But remember, this is where he's really successful. So if we do this, make sure you're coming back with that. Or how are you going to set this guy up through the three pitches? So reading the hitter and setting up a pitcher, setting up a hitter is important for us. Um, our guys have the ability to shake. Um, I, I think it's sometimes it's, I, I don't want them to shake because I, I, I have a certain plan in mind. Yeah. Um, but I also want them to have the utmost confidence 
in the pitch they're throwing. And, and, and ultimately, I'll take full responsibility for it because that's my job. My job is to put them in a position to be successful and prepare them to be successful. And so um, I'm willing to bet on our guys if they shake and, and they do it with, you know, with 100% confidence, say, I'm in, let's roll. But, you know, you're the guy with the ball in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their ability to read hitters um, and their ability to, to feel like they have the freedom to throw their best pitch when their best pitch is needed, even if that guy knows it's coming and he can really hit it, hey, mm-hmm. I want them to throw their best pitch. Um, so we talk a lot about the hitters and what they do. We show a lot of video on those hitters. Um, and, and certainly as the season goes, they're going to hear the same themes from me uh, about, Hey, mm-hmm. this guy does this, and this is how he does this, or, you know, our teams. Right. And certainly, I mean, Jack, you, we played against some of the same teams There's some teams down here that you yep. face and you know how they're going to run their offense. You know what they're going to try to do. Mm-hmm. Um, is this team going to small buy or is this team going to try for the three on home run? So I think we're always playing our attack the same way, but I think you're still trying to put your attack in a position where you're still attacking the weakness of that opponent as well. Mm-hmm. I want to go over to recruiting because yeah. you have yeah. plenty of experience in recruiting. I want to ask uh, what, what uh, changes you've seen over the years um, that have like really impacted how you recruit players. Yeah, I, I think the biggest, and I've, I'll say this personally, the biggest change for me, and it started when I was at Pepperdine and, and, and you know, Rick Hurt center is one of my really good friends. And, and I love Hurt. He's, he's an amazing human being. Um, he entrusted me to make the right decisions based on what was right for Pepperdine. And I, and I had to learn that a little bit um, um, because I think every program has their, has their right fit. Like we talked about earlier and, and some players could play for a head coach and some players can't play for a head coach. You have to know that. But I think what he allowed me to do is he allowed me to really set my standards and goals for what I thought was the player that I wanted to recruit. And, and, and that was done mm. through communication. That was done through, um, you know, going through some tough recruiting processes, Jack, to be honest with you, where I, I really, I maybe chased a guy that was, shouldn't have been chasing, to be honest with you. And he didn't, mm. he didn't try to quench that on me. Um, the biggest thing for me personally is I want to recruit good people. And I know that sounds so simple. I know that a lot of the people probably say that um, mm. in my in my experience, and, and, and I'm not talking about choir boys. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't want those either. But you want to you want to you want to be around good people. I think people forget in this recruiting experience, and, and when you get them on campus, you have to be around them. You mm-hmm. you're, you are basically living with those guys for a certain amount of time, right? And hopefully for years because they're the right fit, they're the right kid, and you, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I I put a really high emphasis on the question: is if this guy was in our program. Do I want to talk to them on a daily basis? Do I want to be with them? Could I hang out with them? Can I have a conversation with them? Mm. Is there the ability to have a long-standing relationship with this young man? And if there's not, that's pretty hard for me to recruit him. Because mm. the one thing I think is an absolute fact right now is there's no lack of talent. The, the talent is everywhere. Not at all. <laughs> and, and whether it's high school player, junior college player, or transfer portal, I don't care what it is. There are talented players everywhere. I think the premium for me personally is, is getting the guys that you feel are really good people. Mm. Um, and certainly there's no guarantee on that, but if mm-hmm. you do it enough, you've heard a lot of the same things. You hear how they respond to questions. You hear how they interact. Um, you're building a relationship with them. You talk to other people. You, maybe you talk to high school coaches or travel coaches. You talk to players they play with. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's, for me, that's a non-negotiable. Is, is are, are they going to be good people that you want to hang around with? Because you have mm. to in order to coach them. Um, 
and, and certainly the talent is where it starts, Jack. I don't want to jump that. You know, they have to be talented to start that process. But mm-hmm. the thing I've learned, and I'm, and I'm so completely sold on, like I said, it's a non-negotiable for me, is, is are they a good person? Because um, if you have a question mark, I, I don't know if there's a risk factor that you want to you get into. Because if that risk factor continues to show up face, is he really going to be in your program long enough anyways? One. Two, mm-hmm. is he going to do the things that you feel it's going to take to be successful? And three, um, like I said, there's enough talent right now. You just got to be patient. And, and if you're truly honest about what you value and what you think is important to your program, yeah, it might take a little longer and it might be a little harder. You might have some tough phone calls. But when you get that guy that you want and you know is a great fit, there's no better feeling. There's no better feeling because you know yeah. that guy's going to come in and even if he struggles, because they're all going to struggle. I mean, there is no yeah. player that's never struggled. You're going to go, hey, I can coach that kid. I can be around that kid. I can have a relationship with that kid. I think we can positively influence that young man to be a great fit in our program and be a great fit in our community. And and certainly you hope that he can be successful athletically as well. But I think that's a non-negotiable. And I think, again, the fact there's over 3,000 Division One players in the in the portal last year I yeah. think it goes to show patience. going to ask. <laughs> patience, patience is a virtue right now, man. I, I just think there's there's no reason to rush because again, hmm. when that guy gets your pro- nobody remembers when that guy commits. All they remember is is he a good player for you? Can, is he a part of your program? Is he successful in your program? So nobody goes back to us five years. Oh yeah, well, hey, he committed as a freshman. Thank God we got him. Well, I don't know. Maybe he's the wrong fit. Maybe you don't know enough then. Um, and that's not to say we don't recruit young guys. We do, but. Um, it's not going to be in abundance. It's going to be what we feel is the right people from the right background and from the right relationships that we know of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's going to be a real value for us. And, and you know, you're going to talk about the portal. Uh, you know, the guys we got at the portal, we were really, really careful to make sure they were the right fit for us. There, there wasn't, okay. we weren't risking talent for our chemistry. We weren't risking the possible reward of, of this is a really good player but he could kill our chemistry. We weren't risking that. And that's something hmm. that, again, that starts with Coach Burroughs. And as a recruiting coordinator, it's awesome because there's no pressure to go, well, why do we only have X amount committed? Or why, you know, what's, he never asked that. He, you know, again, all that matters is he's the right fit for our program. And, and he says all the time, when you're recruiting a high level and your, your program's elevating up, you're going to recruit the right guy. Again, that, that guy's going to be the match. You just got to continue to find that guy. Um, and mm-hmm. sometimes it, it is tough and sometimes it is frustrating and, and God, we'd all like it to be easier, Jack. Yeah. But when that guy says yes, and you know, it's the right fit, you're ecstatic because you know, you're bringing good people in the program first and foremost. And so, um, you know, that goes back to our team building comment earlier. And that goes back to how I feel like our culture is successful. Um, I think you could say all the buzzwords you want, but if you have bad people or people that don't fit your program or your culture, your culture is irrelevant because it, it's yeah. it's never static. It's always moving with the people that are in your program. Your your players create that on a daily basis, and so um, your ability to to navigate that and get the right guy, I think, is is a number one, the most important thing you could have. Yeah. Well, okay. You mentioned the portal, and I want to mm-hmm. ask if that has impacted how you look at high school recruits too, because clearly, it, yeah, because it it has obviously changed the game in the last few years. Yep. Like things have just changed and maybe Juco players too. I mean, mm-hmm. oh, at absolutely. Least in your experience, like how that's yeah, changed. I mean, I'm, it's all changed. And I would only speak for us. It's made everything else slow down. You've okay. slowed everything down. Um, and not that you're not still recruiting high school guys. You're not still recruiting junior college guys, 
I think you are very aware that, and, and anybody says they're not, they're lying to you, that once that June mark hits, or let's say it's middle of May, mm. once finals are done at most schools, from that point until August, you know you're going to have a, a, a pretty good window of some really talented individuals that could help your program both on and off the field. Yeah. Um, and so is a little bit of a crapshoot? Absolutely. Um, is it a little bit of a gamble? Absolutely. But yeah. I think, again, that's where, we, that's where we go back and rely on our relationships um, of, of young men. There's nobody that's in the program that we brought in from the portal side that we did not have a previous relationship with them or mm. somebody they played with or played for, whether it's a player in our program, so peer recruitment, or a coach or a parent, like there was always a relationship somewhere involved in that recruiting process that, yeah. um, you know, I don't know if it initiated the recruitment, but it was a, certainly a big part of getting in the door and the communication. And like I said, all of our guys are actually SEC guys where um, that wasn't the aim. That's just how it came. Mm -hmm. um, certainly we live in the middle of SEC country down here. So yeah. there's options, but every one of them was from a, it stemmed from some sort of a prior relationship that we knew that individual and we knew that kid was the right kid for us. Now, whether he was going to say yes or no, that was still the recruiting process, but we weren't, we weren't fearful that he was going to be a bad fit in our program. Well, it's also easier too to, to get portal guys just because you can see the actual data of how they played in college. Everybody wants, everybody wants to feel a safety net when you recruit. Everybody wants to feel a little bit more of a guarantee because it's all a gamble. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly the body of work that young men have it, it gives you some feeling of comfort that that guy could be more successful earlier mm -hmm. um, and that he, he could help you. So that's no doubt. Um, but I, st so that point's true, but I still, for us, even if a guy was a freshman, we got a, we had a young man come in last year from school um, that came in at the break. So he couldn't play last year, he red shirted, um, mm -hmm. but we never had an issue or concern about his makeup, his character. And, and he's been a great fit for us. So um, I think it, it, what when it happens is is certainly more in the summertime, but um, I think we're mm -hmm. very keenly aware of we're always looking to add one to the top. We and I and I say that very honestly. I said to our current guys, um, I said that at the beginning about developing a, a really competitive roster. We're always trying to add somebody that adds to the top of the roster talent wise that makes us a better team. Now mm -hmm. that being with the character, that's where the pieces have to fall in, and that's where you know we might take a little longer, and it might be some more no's from us or some more no's from somebody else, but mm. we're not going to, we're not going to give up our, our character desires because they're talented. Um, but yeah. the portal uh, has been good to us to this point. Uh, you know, both our guys leaving. I mean, we, we had a Cape all-star last year that could have gone anywhere in the country. We had a catcher that had 16 home runs could anywhere in the country. We have a left-hand all American, two left-hand all Americans could have been anywhere in the country. They're all back. I mean, nobody's leaving. Again, I think that again shows what coach Burroughs has built. And that's a, a huge example of our culture, like we talked about earlier, but um, mm -hmm. Jack, we desire to be in Omaha though as well. So we're always mm -hmm. going to try to continue to add to the top and make our, our program more competitive internally, which hopefully makes us more competitive on that field when that guy says play ball. Okay. So I want to ask about evaluating high schoolers because obviously, like yeah. I just said, like you can evaluate the college guys in the transfer portal, no problem. But with high schoolers, there's obviously yeah. there's a lot more tools to evaluate players now. So yeah. I want to, I want to ask like how you evaluate the high school recruits specifically. Yeah. I, I think that's more of the time demanding subject, right? Because we have to go watch them. We have yeah. to go see them. We have to, 
you know, we have to try to get them to a camp. We have to see more video. We have to see them with our own eyes a lot because so much, so much video you might be given by somebody is you don't mm-hmm. see what the pitcher's doing, or you don't see if it's a pitcher, you don't see who the hitter is, right? You don't have those other variables that go into the success or failure. Um, so we have to spend more time on the road seeing those guys. Generally speaking, our summer, you know, certainly from the middle of June through August is almost all high school exclusive, right? It's mm-hmm. just almost all high school because um you know, you might have to run see a guy that's in the portal in a, in a, in a college deal or whatever, but um, that's when you're spending most of your time, obviously, in, at Georgia. We've all been in Georgia so many times in our life or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really where we're going to spend more man hours personally around those guys or watching their games. Um, I think the thing for us as well is we, we certainly value um, a lot of their high school stuff. I think that's something that people maybe have gone away from. We value their relationship with their high school coach. We value hmm. that interaction. We value what kind of, you know, does he play multiple sports? We have so many of our guys are, are two-sport athletes. And, and and I don't care. Hey, we got a guy that we think can hit the ball to the moon. Well, he played golf. I don't care. He's still doing something else to just play baseball that's making him interact with other people. It's 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 making him um, have a more competitive time management plan. It's hmm. making him be responsible to other things other than just baseball. Um and, and, and certainly down here, we have a lot of football players too, but we put a high priority on that, the guys that, that play multiple sports and that, that can do that and, and value that stuff. But our communication with our high school coaches and certainly the travel ball coaches still um, are pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, hey, I'll, I'll give a shout out to, to Alex Armand at, at PBR, you know, Louisiana. I think the guy's a rock star. He's one of the, the most knowledgeable PBR guys I know. He's honest. He's transparent. He works so hard for those guys. He's been a rock star for us. And, and I mean, we've gotten all these Louisiana kids, but he's honest. He's really good at it. So I think it's through those relationships that are, that are key um, because the high school guy at, in this state that college baseball's in, um, it's still old. It's still physical. So everybody's still desiring to be old and physical. And so when you bring a young high school guy in that maybe he's physical, but not the physicalness of a 22-year-old. And he's yeah. certainly not old as far as having a history of, at, at, at this level. Um, I think you have to be pretty careful. I think you have to be pretty aware that you want these guys to come along. Cause I, in our program there, we feel like they're still the future. We're still building with those guys. We're still adding yeah. to the top with those high school guys that we feel can be here for three years and make the program grow. Um, but I think you have to be pretty, pretty, um, pretty aware Um that that might take a little more time. And I think you have to be hmm. pretty transparent in your recruiting process, which again, I feel like we are. And certainly coach Burroughs is that, Hey, this is who we are. This is where we're at. Um, you're going to have to come win a job. This is something you're going to have to come win a job. And, and, and for me, Jack, I tell our guys all the time, I worry less about the, the, the academic side for high school guys and do the, the playing side, because hmm. when they get here, the game's faster, the guys are more physical. It's more competitive. The expectations are higher. The time management's harder. Um, and all mm-hmm. that affects their level of play. And, 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 and so many of them are wrapped up identity wise as a baseball player that they almost like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm losing my identity. I don't know who I am. So, um, and I think that's where the communication and the relationship building and, and just spending time with our guys and communicating with them and, and just checking on them, just going, Hey man, you're all right. Hey, I see how this is mm-hmm. going. You know, I heard this is happening. You know, how do you feel? And I mean, just, just making them feel like they have a voice. And they're not being talked down to, but they can be communicated with, mm. um, especially those young guys is such a big part of our program. And, and certainly the other thing I said this earlier, I feel like our older guys and their example and how they bring them in is huge. So, um, you know, on the recruiting side, 
we're still evaluating the same way we'd that anyway. Are they good people? First and foremost, you know, there is yeah. a talent level. Yes. But are they good people and do they fit our culture? Um, and we'll talk about that later coming up about some of our, our, our recruiting uh, that haven't gone so good. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, do you think, or I guess, where do you hope like uh, recruiting goes in the future? Do you think that there's a direction it's going in right now, especially with well, NIL transfer portal, you know, kind of all those things? Well, I think it's going one direction. I think we all, we all have, a, I, I don't know if it's a fear or not, but I think we all have a, uh, a perception of that's going in a certain direction that maybe is not something we all desire. Um, to where mm. people, you know, become a little bit of a money grab. It might become more of an ego play. It might become more of a of a desire to be re-recruited because that, that's a fun, you know, everybody wants to feel wanted. Like I said, everybody wants to feel wanted. Everybody wants to feel yeah. valued. So mm. where do you go to do that instantly? You go to the portal. Well, hey, everybody wants me. Everybody, now I'm valued again, where that's not always true. But I don't know the specific numbers, Jack, but I would tell you the majority, the heavy majority of young men of any sport that get in the portal do not find a new home. Yeah. They don't. And, 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 and that's not a secret. I think everybody knows that. Um, so that's the fear of that's the way it's going, because I think there's um, a lot of really good players that, that probably leave good, a good setup and a good opportunity at their current school. Um, maybe for some wrong reasons. I don't know how many, I just, sometimes that's my fear. Um, I think, if we can get a handle on it, which obviously I think the NCAA is trying to do that with some certain windows and when you can and cannot transfer, what that looks like, I think that's a huge start. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, my hope is that we can find some kind of balance. I, I think you're always trying to find some kind of balance between good high school players that certainly deserve the opportunity to play at this level, uh, good junior college players that certainly deserve the opportunity to play at this level, and then obviously portal guys that um, – that maybe they weren't in a good situation. Maybe they need to leave for a lot, whatever reason. The variables of, of change are never ending, but yeah. they're leaving for the betterment of their personal life, which I think is certainly warranted. I think everybody should have the right to do that. And that's where I think the portal's good is I think you should leave if you're not in the right situation for you and your family. Absolutely. I think that's an absolute great thing, but mm-hmm. I would hope there's just some balance there. And what does that balance look like? I don't know. I'm not that daggum smart. I, I, I'm not, <laughs> but I just wish, you know, I wish we could find a happy medium to where not any one of those three groups is getting completely pushed aside Yeah, and you just go, Oh my gosh, what happened? That guy was so good. Or that, you know, I just, I fear that because um, we're constantly talking about giving kids more opportunities to play and how can we make this game better? How can we grow the game? Well, I don't think you're growing the game by eliminating a third or, you know, 45% of, of the population from the opportunity. I think you're crushing that. So yeah. that's, that's where I hope we can change and have some more balance on that side. I'm just thinking about Juco, like, especially too, in my scenario, I was no at a division one and I was, yep. you know, I went Juco yep. because I needed to play, but a lot of these yep. freshmen who are at a, you know, a good D one, they, they're like, okay, I'm not getting the playing time. You know, I'll just jump yep. ship and leave yep. when, you know, there's no point because you aren't, you aren't even playing. There's nowhere, there's nothing to really evaluate you off of yep. other than the fact that you yep. showed up at this one school. Yep. So it, to me, it's yep. like very confusing how, a, a, especially a freshman will just hop into a transfer portal. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and you know, I, I think a lot of times, and the numbers are skewed because you might have a number of young men that were, you know, Hey, we'll give you the fall to walk on. Well, those guys are still counted in the portal. So the talent yeah. level is certainly a, uh, <clears throat> 
it certainly can change based on the individuals in the portal and what, you know, what that looks like. But to your point of those young men that don't have a body of work, um, man, especially during COVID where those guys were like, well, I didn't play my senior year. I didn't play my senior summer. And now I'm at this yeah. school and I haven't played for, you know, for upwards of three full seasons. And well, I was good, but well, who can, who's going to gamble on that? Because there is no, there is no body of work. And so, I think that was really hard. I, I think we're moving away from that. So you have some more data on those guys and more history because mm-hmm. we're playing more games now, obviously. But um, Jack, I don't know the perfect solution. And I mean that sincerely. I, I just, I would strive for balance. Um, and we certainly try to have balance in our program. We desire to have all those groups in our program, high school, junior college, and portal guys um, in our program. So, you know, the one yeah. thing about it too now, Jack, is the NCAA's changes that they're making now on the scholarship guarantee of these portal guys. It, it, it's, it yeah, gets a little bit more hairy now, past, Jack. That's right? a, dude, it's, it's past. And, and, and it, yeah. you, you as a coach and as a program, you are on the hook for that money, no matter what, unless that young man gets back in the portal and goes somewhere else. I mean, there's yeah. very few, very few ways to, to um, not be paying that, that scholarship percentage or whatever it is for that entire length until he graduates um, mm-hmm. with these new rules. So I think that is going to certainly slow down the portal. Cause I think you certainly have that. Um, now you have that, that little bit of a risk factor of, Oh man, if this doesn't work or if this guy, I mean, he could decide I'm just going to go to school cause I don't want to play anymore. Well, you're still paying them. Um, yeah. that, that changes the game, Jack, cause there's, there is no guarantee like that right now. So when you do that, mm-hmm. I think that will slow down the portal a little bit. I, I, I think it has to. Personally, I think I would hope that it does. But all right, we don't have to talk yeah. about Portal anymore. Yeah. It's, no, you're good. Oof, no, it's, you're good. It's such a, it's like the Wild West right now, honestly. But there, there, there's no rules, and the governing body yeah. of it doesn't want to govern it. it. Yeah. So, all right, let's get to the personal stuff. I, I want to yeah, ask you. Um, Love it. I just want to ask you, kind of, what drew you towards coaching? Whether it was, um, you kind of were born into coaching, like you knew you were going to be a coach ever since you were a kid, or you had no idea. And then it kind of just mm-hmm. fell into your lap. Just give me, give me the full scoop on that. Yeah. So um, I, I did not know I wanted a coach. I was, I was, uh, I was playing at Texas tech and, and every summer I, I, I would catch a lot during the year. So I wouldn't play in the summer and, and maybe I should have, but I chose not to. So mm-hmm. I would go back and I, I would work at, uh, at a baseball Academy named Las Vegas baseball Academy for, for a man named Mike Martin. Who I took lessons from when I was growing up. The guy's uh, one of the greatest human beings I know, and, and he's he's uh, a legend in the baseball community in Las Vegas. So I worked for him for a couple summers um, after uh, or, or after the season. And so, mm-hmm. and then um, I'll never forget this call. Um, and so, I, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the teaching. I enjoyed the relationships. I enjoyed the communication. Um, and and I made a call. I was still playing at texas tech i was is my senior year and i think it was november december it was it was near the end of the first mm-hmm. semester we were kind of a quiet time and, and at the time the guy that i played high school for my first year his name was tim chambers was a bishop gorman he mm-hmm. was the current coach at the college of nevada csn and so mm-hmm. i had played there for a year at a high school and long story short i called him and i still talked to him i said hey i'm gonna come back to coach for when i'm done and he kind of wrote it off i still had you know a year and a half of school left mm-hmm. and so i um uh, I, uh, I went back that next summer and was working for Mike Martin in the baseball Academy. And, uh, and I graduated um, on a Saturday from Texas tech. I was back working as a volunteer at CSN that next, that next Monday. And I walked in and said, Hey, I don't, you don't have to pay me. Hey, I'll do lessons. I'll do whatever. Um, 
And so for four years, I was there for four years, I was there for the seasons of 07 through 10. Um, mm. I never received a paycheck. I was just doing lessons. I, I no benefits, no, nothing. Um, wow. because I loved it and, and I was there all the time with them and, and it didn't matter. And so, um, I transitioned to that. And then I, I, I was actually, uh, became good friends with Steve Rodriguez and he was at Pepperdine mm -hmm. as the head coach there and was, was fortunate enough to, to go and be the, a volunteer there for two years in the seasons of 11 and 12. Um, and then, um, got my first paid job as a stipend job is about $1,100 a month with no benefits, um, at Utah Valley university. And so mm -hmm. I could start recruiting. And, and so, and Eric Madsen was, was a, was a wonderful human being. He was awesome. He actually paid our insurance for that entire year. Um, we moved from Pepperdine to UVU and, and my wife was seven and a half months pregnant. That was a terrible move. She had a full-time oh, job of benefits and, and Pepperdine. And, and so anyway, so, uh, but he was awesome. He, you know, he was, uh, paid our insurance and we made it work. And, and then actually started getting paid my second year at, at UVU. And so, um, I was, I was determined to make it work. Um, mm -hmm. and, and partially because I didn't have a plan B, I didn't know what else I was going to do, but even more so is I didn't want to do anything else. I, I, I just mm. didn't. Um, this is all I've ever really known. Um, I've played baseball or been involved in baseball my whole life. And so, uh, I don't know if I am qualified or I'm uh, not qualified for anything else. I just have never attempted anything else. So, um, it's, it's been, the game has been better to me than, than I could ever imagine. So I, I don't, I don't, um, man, I don't foresee myself doing anything else, hopefully. And, uh, we're, we, I say we, because now I have a family and, and three kids and it's their lifestyle as well. And so, um, and they didn't have the choice. They were kind of forced into it. And, and, and so, but have a wonderful wife that is, 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 I think is the rock star of our world and the glue of our family. And, uh, you know, she is on 100% everything we do. And she is accepted as her life as well, like I said. So that's mm -hmm. how it's kind of gone and transitioned. And, and, and from the starting point to now and, and through 17 years, it's, it's been awesome. So. It's so funny. My next question was going to be, what would you be doing if it wasn't coaching? But you just told me that it'd be nothing. I got an answer. <laughs> if I could do so, if I, I, I'd be a farmer, I'd be a farmer, or a rancher. Farmer? I, I just, I'm drawn. I, I would, I'm not a real inside guy. The office is not my friend. Yeah. Um, I love to work, but I don't love to sit in the office and work. So, um, mm. I think there's benefits to it, but, but, you know, I would be outside, I'd be outside in a heartbeat farming or ranching or something like that. I'm, I'm, I, I, uh, I would be that I, like I said, I don't think I'm qualified for that, but <laughs> if, if, if the Lord pushed me out, that's where I'd go first. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Yes, sir. I want to ask, uh, what your favorite thing about law tech is. Oh man, without a doubt, our players. And, and, and there's a lot that I love, but our players are just um, uh, just something special. The emotional attachment I have to our guys, even last year, we, we had an old group of pitchers and, and they, I mean, they didn't owe me anything, right? They didn't owe, they mm. owe me nothing. And the way that, that, that the, the, some of the new stuff was welcomed and certainly a little bit of a philosophy change and just how we trained our guys and just some of the things that we introduced that we thought, could help them be more successful the way they um, just did it and, and just mm. were, were just, they were awesome. And I still feel the same way our guys now. I mean, the emotional connection I have with our guys here is second to none. I, I mean, this is a great place. We have an unbelievable fan base. We're sold out for the third straight year in a row. You can't buy season tickets. We have a beautiful facility. I, I, I have no desire to work for another head coach than Lane Burroughs or work with another coach other than coach Gaspar. They are the best mm that I've ever been around and, and our camaraderie, our, 
our ability to to communicate and our relationship is the best I've ever been a part of on a coaching staff. It's unbelievable. So coming to work every day is awesome. But that is all irrelevant without our players. Mm. Our players are what make this place special. And so um, I love our guys. And again, that's a testament to Coach Burroughs and what he's built and, and the type of player that is attracted to LaTeX. I mean, that's the thing about it is you have to want to come here because um, we're recruiting against an LSU or a Mississippi State or an Ole Miss, like or whoever. You know, we're recruiting a lot against a lot of schools and, mm-hmm. and they have choices. And so you have to want to come here. And so our players are – it's the emotional connection to these guys, um, the type of people they are, their work ethic, and but just – Man, they're just awesome beyond every day. Our players are are unbelievable. I've got to ask now about um well actually, did you have Parker Bates? Or no? Did so you PB have... was before me. Yeah, he was done. Shoot. He was done the year before. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No PB and, and, and he's around all the time. He's actually so he lives here now. He's gone he's, he's actually playing now. He's God, I can't remember what country he went yeah, to. But he was here all Panama, fall. Maybe? Great dude. Yeah, yeah, I think it is Pim, but great dude. Awesome, yeah. awesome dude. Yes. Um, now okay, this is the the last question. This is uh yeah. recruiting visits. I've gotta yeah. I've gotta hear some of these recruiting stories. Yeah, good or bad. Yeah. Uh, just lay it so, on me, whatever you want to give me. Yeah, so um I'm gonna give you one good, one good, and, and it's I think you have a lot of good ones. Um, but one of the ones that um th- and this is my first player I ever committed at at Pepperdine. Um, pitcher named Will Jensen, uh, ended up being a rock star force was a dude kid was out of Utah and I was at Utah Valley before. So I'd known him. I, I had been around him. He went to Cottonwood high school, knew mm. the coach, like had a great relationship with him, but, um, he blew up. So I was, I was kind of on him at UVU Then he blew up when I got to Pepperdine, he was area code team and kind of, I mean, Clemson, NC state, BYU, Arizona, Arizona. I mean, it was just, I mean, he had anybody mm. he wanted on him from both sides of the country. Cause he had some attachments to the East coast. Um, and he was actually, you know, he, he came on a, his visit right before he pitched the area code games in Long Beach. And so, um, great. His dad's rock star, great kid. Um, so goes through that and I'm thinking, man, there's no way we're getting this kid. Like he fits, but I don't know. So long story. Um, I'm at, I'm at the university of San Diego watching mm-hmm. the perfect game under class at the end of the summer. The one that always kind of ends the summer out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm up, up in the, the, not sitting, but I'm up in the stands, kind of walk around. I'm on the phone. Will Jensen calls. I'm like, oh, I'm taking this call. I'm not expected to be good, but I'm taking this call. Jack, he says, hey, Coop, I'm in. Dude, I, I yell. I'm in the middle of the dadgum <laughs> event. I'm like, yes, and I'm pumped. I'm jacked up. And, I mean, I was juiced on that guy. I was big time. Yeah. And, again, it, it goes to show that he was the right kid first and foremost, and, he was a great player for us. I mean, he shoot his sophomore year before he got hurt. He's leading the nation ERA, and he was a dude. And he's playing in the, in the Giants organization now, but just the right kid. I mean, the kid was awesome. And so mm. I'll never forget that was like the celebration um, of it. And then we, we, we got another kid this summer, and I won't tell his name. He was a portal guy that, that I would say was probably the biggest recruit on paper, uh, ranking-wise in history that I've ever gotten. And so that mm. was a pretty good day as well. And so – but. But again, the, the kid was is a rock star. Like you just love being around. I mean, forget the talent. Just the kid himself is awesome. So mm. that was great. Um, you know, I got two two of the two of the worst recruiting visits I ever had. We're both here at La Tech in the last year's is one East Fall. Um, mm. Last fall, we had a young man and his and his and his uh, family member was in our room, and oh, it couldn't have been worse. Just the way he was acting, the way his his body language and his this his I won't say mom or dad because that's gonna be the story. 
his parent was answering every question for him. And so we're talking to him and, mm. and basically the mom's like, I don't know why I'm talking so much. Why don't you? And I'm like, oh man. And so anyways, we had an offer on the table. That offer slid back in LB's desk. Um, and so that was, that was like a memorable one just because it was so awkward. I could just go, oh, and he ended up committing to a school that we kind of compete with a lot that whatever. And, and I'm just thinking, Hey, I hope he's good because it was so bad here. Maybe it was just us. Um, and then we had another young man this year and it was probably the maddest I've ever been in a middle of a visit, but, Hmm. um, a young man here, uh, had been recruiting a while. It, It was a great kid on the phone, really liked him. Hey, made a point to come to our very first recruiting weekend we could, and it was exciting. Like it was awesome. You're thinking, hey, this is great. And mm. it, it's it, it was um, it was pretty good, and, and there was some good interaction. And then we get the offer, and and it was a good offer. Now, Jack, I mean, it was a good offer, and the package that we were able to do was a great offer. I mean, mm. good grief! Like, there's all Americans that are on that much money, right? Yeah. And so we kind of go through it, and, and this young man looks at the offer for maybe, I don't know, eight seconds, 10 seconds and hands it to his mom. And I'm like, well, that's kind of odd. Cause it wasn't a very long look either day. I was like, that's not good anyways. So hmm. we get that and, and, you know, we're talking about it and, and the same questions always ask, well, Hey, you know, what are your thoughts on the offer? You know, kind of tell me your initial reaction and his initial and my head's behind Lane Burroughs. Lane Burroughs is looking at the kid. I'm looking at the kid, but Lane's behind me at his desk and, and, and this guy goes, uh, well, I don't think it's very good. I think I'll, I'll be getting full rides this fall. And I said, in baseball? And he answered, yes. And, I'm, and I mean, I could have jumped out of my skin. Uh-huh. And, 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 so, and so Lane tells a story that he's behind me. And he said, Coop, I could actually see your head shaking because you were so mad. I couldn't see your face. Oh. And so when he says this, I'm, I'm kind of like, as I go through the dialogue, and I snap back my head at Coach Burroughs, and he's like, you know, and, and I say, Hey, we're good. We'll move on. And so that was, that was the last time we ever spoke to that kid. I, I don't know. I don't know where he went. I don't care when I don't, I, that was, that was it. Right. It was, but that wow. was one of the ones you just go like, wow. I mean, we have guys that are all Americans. We have guys that are really good players. We have guys that are draft picks. We got guys that are um, a lot of success and a history of success that are on a less of a package and less of a scholarship. And, and so yeah, that was, and, and I don't, Hey, you know what? that's okay. You're going to go through some good and some bad, but those are the two of the, like the most memorable negative ones where you just go, Holy cow. I'll never forget that. And we tell those two stories every recruiting trip. Now, every visit we have, we tell those two stories to people because it's just like they stick out because they're never quite that bad or quite that uh, obvious. But um, like most things though, you live and you learn and and you just move on. Yeah. Jeez. Oh my gosh. That's a, that last one was a head scratcher for me. Yeah. Well, and, oh, and, and like I said, I, I, uh, I wish him and his family all the best. Um, but you know, those type of young men in my, in my, uh, experience, those type of young men, um, I don't know if they ever find a home that's truly a good fit because I, I feel like they're searching for something that maybe isn't realistic. Um, it's like the grass so is I, always I, greener, right? The yeah, grass right. is just always that's right. greener. And, right. And, and, uh, and I think that's where, you know, we talk about the portal numbers and what that looks like. We talk about the changes, mm-hmm. you know, all the, 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 the tide that we're in right now. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of positives to the portal, but I also think that, um, man, just, just appreciating opportunity and, and truly appreciating being valued and being a part of something that they want to invest in you both financially for sure, but, yeah. but time and effort and love and support. I think those things, um, 
the guys in our program that get it, that's why they're special. And I said that that's why our players are special. I feel like those guys really get it. And, and I feel that's what leads to, to our team being so close. But I also truly, truly believe that's what leads to our team being so successful. I really do. Yeah, I completely agree. Because yeah. I remember in my experience that I would always think about the money first. I was like, oh, yeah, yes. like, what's the dollar sign? Like, that's that's, right. that's what's important. But it's really about that's the people right. that, that matters. And you, yeah. you made a great point of that. Um, uh, yeah, uh, that's everything I have, uh, awesome. on my end. Um, I would just right. like to give you, you know, one last kind of, um, time to like, just talk about, you know, maybe what you would say to kids that are interested in law tech parents, yeah. maybe that don't yeah. know about law tech, um, sure. how they can, how they can get in contact yeah. with you, stuff like that. Um, okay. but yeah, I'll just leave the floor, um, for you there. Awesome. Well, we appreciate this opportunity, Jack. I mean, this is, this is a, an awesome opportunity to to continue to bang the drum of law tech. And I really mean that. I mean, this is a place that um, I've been a lot of places in the country and this certainly has a place in my heart because of, of the people that are here um, mm -hmm. and a little bit towards what we've talked about. Right. I think the, 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 the ego and the money um, certainly those are, are reasons why people make decisions, but they're never reasons why people stay the staying powers because of, of the, the value that you add to the program or the, you know, the value that people add to your life and the support and the love. Um, and I think that's where we, we really succeed. Um, you know, certainly we have a high desire to play at a high level and to be in Omaha. We do. Um, that's not something we hide from. That's not something we, we don't admit to. Um, this place is, is on a really good trajectory right now. And, and again, all that is due to coach Burroughs and his man, his, his time here and his, his just his effort and his, his passion, his energy. And so, you know, working for a great man like him and working with a great man like Coach Gaspar, it's easy to promote this place. It's easy to promote this place because you have great players. So um, I think the one thing about La Tech is, is you know, we, we, it's not a power five. We're not, we're not talking we are a power five, but we feel like we can go up and compete against any power five in the country on the field, and we're not going to run away from that. Um, the one thing I think this place has over a lot of schools is it is the fan support. We have an unbelievable community in Ruston. They love their Bulldogs. Mm -hmm. There's not a bunch of LSU flags flying here, Tulane flags or, you know, Lafayette flags. It's, it's the state tees everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so they love their Bulldogs. And so the fan support and the atmosphere, uh, our guys are rock stars here. You know, we've got um, for two years in a row now, the biggest NIL deals on campus are baseball players. And it's mm -hmm. not because we have a collective. It's because our guys are rock stars. Our guys are, are really great ambassadors in our community. Um, and so you have such a great uh, opportunity to be, to be a part of something bigger than yourself in our community in Ruston. Um, and then the education, it's one of the better educations in the state. Um, it's an open enrollment. The cost is not crazy. It really is very, very manageable, which I think nowadays is, is a huge part of the decision process in college. Mm -hmm. um, so that opportunity is, is open for everybody. Um, I just feel like what we have to offer, if, if people are really truly in, and, and honestly value what we value, um, I don't think there's a better place in the country. Um, I, I think we, we give kids a place to grow, uh, a place to, to understand what allows them to be them and be successful. And, and they are valued and they're loved and they're supported. Um, and it, man, we're going to win a lot of baseball games doing it too, because I can guarantee you once that guy says play ball, um, we will go out and compete with anybody and we will play with the chip on our shoulder and, and, uh, it's going to be awesome. So we, we've got a good thing going here. And, and like I said, whether it's uh, our players or our coaching staff and sort of the facilities and the fan support, I believe they're all um, aspects of why it is such a good environment for sure. Cooper Fouts, 
thank you for the time. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to talk to you really briefly right after this, but uh, that's, that's going to be it for, uh, for the awesome. episode. So awesome, uh, Jack. thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you.